Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Carry On Edition. As the Bengals look to put a lousy performance against the San Francisco 49ers in the rearview mirror and beat the 2-0 Buffalo Bills on their home field. And my apologies to Crosby, Stills, and Nash for not being able to match their three-part harmony. Coming up, you'll hear three conversations. Up first, my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. We'll discuss how the defense could be so strong in week one and so weak in week two. We'll also look at the latest round of musical chairs on the offensive line, and Lap will share his keys to knocking off the undefeated Bills. My locker room conversation this week is with wide receiver Tyler Boyd. According to Pro Football Focus, Andy Dalton has thrown 20 passes for Boyd in the first two games, and 18 out of 20 have gone for completions. That's 90% and tied for first in the NFL in receiving percentage, if that's what we should call it, for anybody who has been targeted 10 or more times. Oddly enough, Boyd is tied with former Bengal Marvin Jones, who has reeled in nine of the 10 passes thrown to him in Detroit. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the lowdown on the Buffalo Bills from their radio analyst. Not only a former Pro Bowl center for the Bills, but a former Elder Panther, Eric Wood. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since Bluetooth. It never ceases to amaze me that I can hop in my car, start playing a podcast or a song on my phone, and listen to it through my car speakers, or do the same thing at home by pairing my phone with wireless speakers. The technology was invented by four Swedish engineers nearly 30 years ago, and perhaps you are using Bluetooth right now to enjoy this podcast. Now let's get to football. The Bengals are a six-point underdog on the road in Buffalo this week against a Bills team that opened the season with two road wins. They rallied from a 16-0 deficit late in the third quarter to beat the Jets 17-16 in Week 1, then beat the Giants 28-14 in Week 2. The Bills are one of nine teams that are off to a 2-0 start, but Buffalo fans are not exactly making a down payment on playoff tickets yet. The last five times the Bills started a season 2-0, they missed the playoffs. And in only one of those seasons did the Bills finish with a winning record. Their chances of finishing above 500 are looking pretty good this year, considering that Buffalo still has two games left against the tanking Dolphins and a home game left against the Jets, who will start their third quarterback in the first three weeks this Sunday. If Buffalo just wins those games, that's five wins. They could go 5-6 and six in their other 11 games and have a 10-win season. Now time to discuss this week's matchup and get to the bottom of last week's calamity against the 49ers with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, there are six first-time head coaches in the NFL this year, and four of them, including Zach Taylor, don't have a win in the first two weeks of the season. People have crushed Mike Brown over the years for sticking with coaches for too long, but continuity does have its advantages. It does. You know, 
remember the song all we're, we are asking is give peace a chance all we're asking is give Zach a chance you know and Shanahan is in his third year with the 49ers tons of injuries tons of problems but I think now that he's got the team that he wants with Lynch as a general manager players that they've traded for players they've signed in free agency players they've drafted and uh they're over that injury hex I mean they had 41 guys on IR over the last two years it's been crazy he's a good coach he has a good scheme a hell of a play caller that defense is salty um you know give, give somebody a chance to get their feet on the ground and and get their culture established and and be a little patient lap seattle's offense is night and day different from san francisco's did the bengals face a team in week one that they are uniquely suited to stop i think they did and and i think it was uh the personnel they had you know big bulky brawny mauling type offensive linemen and they lined up and seattle said this is what we do no matter what this is what we're going to do and stop us and the bengals did give them credit they came out with a, a bunch of different looks that seattle wasn't quite ready for the five defensive linemen you know six defensive backs with three safeties in there handling the running aspect of it um they, they really had seattle back on their heels but seattle didn't do anything differently you know i mean they're their playbook is probably a quarter as thick as Shanahan's is with the San Francisco 49ers. And the following week, they come out and the 49ers are running a two-back set. But then they motion the fullback out. Juszczyk could line up on the slot. He was lining up as a tight end. The guy is like a, you know, a versatile tool. I mean, you know, he, he, can, he can do a lot of things for you. And he gives a lot of versatility to the offensive playbook without substituting personnel because of what they can do with him. And that's what today's NFL is all about. You know, Belichick loves that type of thing in a defensive player. Well, offensive coaches love it too, where they, you know, can, can you know, uh, detach tight ends into the receiver position and don't even have to substitute personnel. And you have a matchup to your favor, a running back that can run good routes and catch the football, get them out of the backfield, detach them. I mean, it, that's, that's when you have the perfect world is you don't have to substitute and creating matchups in your favor. So San Francisco did that remarkably well. They didn't just line up and say, here we are, we're going to pound you, who's going to be the bigger man? And, and then couple that with Shanahan's scheme of, you know, motion, second motion, detach, bring it back the motion the other way again. I mean, he, he's basically, he's, he not, he's trying not to just only distract your eyes, he wants to cross your eyes. And that's what was happening. Guys were running wide open. And his uh, play-action screen game was phenomenal. Or he'd, he'd run outside zone with the left side of the offensive line. Garoppolo would roll out away from it to the right. A receiver had been motioning across the backfield. He was the, he was the receiver of the screen. From Garoppolo throws the ball from the right numbers to the left sideline, right in front of the 49ers bench. And it looked like every member looked like there were 50 people escorting that receiver down the sideline. There were five offensive linemen against three three defenders. You know, they just they found ways to out leverage, outnumber the defense. And then when the defense was in position to make plays, they, they had a poor tackling day. So it was like Murphy's Law. Whatever could go wrong, did go wrong on steroids. That's a bad combo. Yeah. In their history, the Bengals have given up 500 or more yards 24 times. 24 times in more than 50 years of football. It's happened four times in the last 12 games. Going forward, what would you prioritize in fixing this defense? I do think that, you know, 
500 yards is going to be achievable more readily because of today's style of football. But with that said, that's no excuse. I mean, you know, four times in 12 games, come on now. That's a, that's a trend that you don't want to set. You want to break that trend. Um, in, in order to fix things, you know, I, I think that you just almost go back to the fundamentals. You go back to football 101. And uh, I, know, I know what Paul Brown would have done. And he would, he would have told his defensive coaches, I want tackling drills. I want drills, guys getting off blocks. And, you know, I want to make sure that everybody is hitting the right gap. If you have to do mental reps in the classroom, uh, on the football field, or if you have to do it, make sure guys are where they're supposed to be. They're hitting the gap they're supposed to hit. And they're not getting halfway there. They're getting all the way there. And they're not defending half of that gap and then trying to help a teammate who they think is having a problem because now you're trying to do too much and you're not doing anything. You're not helping yourself or your teammate. So do what you're supposed to do. And I think that's what happened a little while. I'm not saying panic set in necessarily, but when they started to get gashed, your natural human reaction is, what can I do to help? The only thing that you, you have to go contrary to human reaction, you have to just be disciplined and do what you're supposed to do. And it's hard to do. It's really hard to do to maintain that uh, self-discipline. But if all 11 guys do what they're supposed to do, um, you know, you, you'll have a much better success than eight guys doing what they're supposed to do and three guys freelancing, you know, or ten guys doing what they're supposed to do and one guy freelancing because they always seem to find the freelancer. It's unbelievable. And then that, that whole thing starts to snowball. So, I mean, I, I would go back to almost training camp fundamentals, like uh, a wise man and wisest football guy I knew, Paul Brown. He said, you know, I can trick you, I can fool you, but I get tired of trying to do that. Will you go block somebody? Will you go tackle somebody? Football's blocking and tackling. Just do that. We'll win some games. That's what, that's what it boils down to. Um, scheme is, is great. Uh, it, it's helpful. But if you don't block anybody, I don't give a damn what your scheme is. You're not going to beat anybody. You, know? and, and you can have you know, 11 defensive linemen and no linebackers and no defensive backs. If you don't hit the right gaps and tackle people, you're not going to beat anybody. So... Scheme is helpful, but man, you gotta you gotta execute fundamentals of football. Snap in, snap out. Not be one play wonder, one series wonder, one week wonder. You have to do it game after game, season after season, year after year. Before I get to my next question, I'm gonna put the microphone close to the desk. Give me one more of those hits. All right, that was good. <laughs> All right. Is the game coming up? Here we are, week three of his tenure. Is this already a big test of Zach Taylor's leadership? I think it is. I think it's a it's a test of, um, of of Zach's culture he's trying to build, because I think he feels like he's got the right kind of guy in the locker room, and I feel like he feels like he's got that at almost every position group. He's got like a you know a committee of of guys I think that he could draw on if he wanted to and and sit down and here's what I'm thinking. Here's my message. What do you guys think? You know and and uh, can 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 you sell this to the locker room would guys buy into this kind of thing I, I'm not sure he has that leadership committee yet but he has a bunch of guys that he could form you know if and when he starts to do that type of thing so I think it's a it's a it's a test of uh, Zach what he's done in terms of instilling a, a culture how, how the guys have bought into that culture and I do think a lot of times you'll see after a, a, a performance like that that is embarrassing 
I know guys didn't want to use that word, but man, that's embarrassing. You know, it's like if you have a bad week at work and you're a salesman, you don't make any sales. Nobody knows about it except your wife and, you know, maybe some others. If you have a bad day that's on, you know, regional and national television, the whole world knows about it. And that's embarrassing. So normally guys really respond to that and, you know, bounce back and have a big time effort. So I think it's going to be uh, hopefully that's going to be the case in, in Buffalo. I'm not saying they're going to win the football game, but I think they'll play more like they played in Seattle than they did at home against San Francisco. Through two weeks, the Bengals are averaging 1.8 yards per rushing attack. Yikes. Yes. What are teams doing to stuff the run to that extent? <laughs> teams are, are, uh, are doing a good job of, of staying in their gaps and uh, not allowing any push, you know, at the line of scrimmage. They're winning at the line of scrimmage. And then there's a guy that is not, not just doing the right thing, uh, you know, blocking the right guy and not getting pushed, he's not blocking the right guy, or he's using the wrong technique in trying to block the guy, or whatever the case may be. Somebody's breaking down, and it's not the same guy every time because it was be easy, easy solution. Bench him, put another guy in. So different guys are breaking down, and it's not just in the offensive line. Um, you know, in, in talking to Alex Erickson uh, earlier this week, it's it's like the receivers are a big part of the running game because they're running a lot of bunch tight cluster formations, and those guys have to go dig people out and. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, everybody's mindset, even though the Bengals are throwing the ball pretty well, you know, 700-plus yards. I mean, Andy's, you know, number one and number two in a few categories in, in uh, throwing the football. Teams are still daring them to throw it. You know, they're, they're saying, we're not going to allow you to – we're going to make you one-dimensional. We're going to try to make you play left-handed as such or tie one hand behind your back. They have to get that running game somehow unlocked, though, Dan. They have to. I mean, you just you can't be that one-dimensional. It's like it's like one phase of it's non-existent, and the passing game numbers are really pretty good. How good could they be if they had a modicum of a running game? I mean, just some semblance of one. My God, the numbers they could put up, particularly when number eighteen comes back and they have a little bit of a running game. Could be. Who knows? Left guard Michael Jordan is out this week, so Billy Price is back into the starting lineup on the offensive line. If it's up to you, do you put Billy at center and move Trey Hopkins to guard, or do you leave Trey at guard and put, or leave Trey at center rather and put Billy in at guard? Yeah, that's a that's a nice conundrum, Dan. It's 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 interesting because you know part of you says you don't want to make two moves for one position, and which you would if you're moving Trey to left guard and Billy to center. But you have to say, okay, Trey is playing very well at center, but wouldn't really you know, downgrade the left guard position if, if Trey went to left guard rather than Billy. Trey has played more left guard. Trey's more comfortable at left guard. Billy's more comfortable at center. Billy would probably, you know, play better at center. So maybe that old philosophy of two moves for one position may not – Trey's versatility can be a blessing and a curse, I guess, you know. But, you know, here's a guy that was rated the best center in the league uh, week one by pro football focus, you know. I mean, so – it's like, geez, do you, do you move him out of that position if he's functioning and operating so well? I, I do know one thing. No matter which, which they do, the pressure's on Billy to play well because Trey's, play, Trey's playing consistently. And that's, that's what you, the biggest thing you want to have as a coach is consistency of performance, consistency of effort, you know, no mental mistakes. And, and, and Trey's he's just he's handling everything, all the calls, you know. 
directing the line. And, and Billy's a smart enough guy, obviously, to do all that, too. So I'm not, you know, they wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, struggle in that regard. Plus, you have a guy that's been doing it at left guard, can help the center. You know, if Billy's struggling, if Trey, if Trey sees, oh, that's not right, Trey can say, ah, Billy, you know, correct it. So, you know, there are, there are a lot of pluses. Um, I, I would probably, probably I'd end up putting Trey at left guard and Billy at center. You know, I think watching Billy, I, he's not, I don't think he's comfortable yet at guard. But what Billy has to do is he has to get off his toes, man. He has to plant those feet firmly in the ground and, and establish a base and a foundation and, um, you know, handle those big bull guys. By the way, the highest-graded center in the NFL in Week 2, according to Pro Football Focus, Frank Ragnow of the Detroit Lions, a player you loved going into yes. that draft. Yes. Through two weeks' lap, John Ross leads the NFL in receiving yards with 270. That's 23 more than Sammy Watkins of KC. Is that the biggest bright spot through two weeks? I think I think um, it, it is, but I'm going to give a, like a, a 1 and a 1A. Tyler Boyd. He's been every time he's been targeted, he's caught the ball. That's hard to do, particularly when there's no ground game, and he's running routes that are more, you know, physically challenging, you know, than than John. I'm not I'm not diminishing John's accomplishments. I mean, shoot, it's been it's been crazy. It's been ridiculously effective for John. I mean, he, he's the 270 yards. He's averaging 24 and a half yards a catch. You know, both lead the league. He's got three touchdown catches, tied for the league lead. Extraordinary stuff, but. Tyler Boyd, 18 catches for 10.1. You know, he has a 47-yarder, but a lot of them have been, you know, third and three, and it's a five-yard catch and get pounded to move the chains. And time after time after time, you know, Andy's going to him, and, you know, everybody knows it. You know, John Ro- uh, Tyler Boyd knows it. The defense knows it. Everybody knows it. He's got five third-down catches, tied for sixth in the NFL. Um, so I, I think, I think that, that tandem – is probably as good a story as there is in the first two games, particularly with the absence of A.J. Green because other guys stepped up, you know, in A.J. Green's absence. And like we said earlier, man, if you can get some kind of running game going, Lord have mercy when 18 comes back. The Bengals are in Buffalo this week to take on the 2-0 Bills behind second-year quarterback Josh Allen, the seventh pick in last year's draft. Lappy's has got the size of Roethlisberger. He might have the strongest arm in the NFL – but he's not a finished product. He's not uh, by a long stretch. In fact, he had uh, it took him the longest time to get the ball out of his hand from snap to throw of anybody in the NFL last year. That's not a good sign. You know, some of it may be him not seeing the field well enough. Some of it may be quick pressure and he's running around holding on to the football. When he does that, a lot of times he's not looking to throw necessarily. He's looking to tuck it and go. I mean, I think, I think initially Buffalo was giving him two reads and then tuck it and run and trying to simplify it. Now I think they've expanded that a little bit. He led him in rushing last year. It was crazy. And he rushed for eight touchdowns. I mean, he was he was a big, big component on the ground. And you still have to respect his legs. Uh, he only completed like 52.8% last year. He's a good 10 percentage points higher than that this year. So he is seeing the field. I think he's got more weapons around him. And uh, he's advancing year one to year two for any player is an eye-opener. I think his eyes have been opened a lot wider. Lap, uh, Bill's defense is in the top 10 versus the run and versus the pass. Is there an obvious weakness? I really don't think there is. I think their secondary might be the best in the league. I mean, combined, White is an unbelievable corner. Poyer's a tremendous safety. I mean, and, and they've got complementary pieces. And 
when you have a Sh- uh, Sean McDermott and, uh, and Leslie Frazier combining and collaborating defensively, you have two really good defensive minds there putting together good game plans for these guys. And, I mean, they have first-round picks up front. Ed Oliver, you know, this year is a first-rounder. Ninth pick of the draft, Jerry Hughes, 10 years ago, came into the league as a first-rounder out of TCU. Very consistent pass rusher. I mean, they're, they're so- solid and sound at the linebacker level. They, they don't have a, a defensive weakness. And, Dan, they're, they're only allowing 4.94 yards per pass attempt this year. What? That's best in the league. That's, that's better than a lot of teams are allowing on the ground. You know, I mean, the Bengals are, are you know, are up there allowing uh, – 4.9 on the ground. They're allowing 4.94 per pass attempt. <laughs> that's that's crazy. They they were number one defensively in the NFL in yards allowed last year at 179, and this year they're giving up 198, which is fifth best in the league. It, it's it's a it's a good defensive football team. The Bengals are going to have to be uh, on their on their uh, best be, behavior in terms of assignments and execution out there. The Buffalo Bills have a rookie running back named Devin Singletary. He's 5'7". His nickname is Motor, and he's averaging nearly 13 yards a carry, and he doesn't have an 80-yarder. He just keeps getting 10 to 20-yard gains on the 10 uh, runs that he has so far this season. However, he's dealing with a sore hamstring. The Bengals might not have to worry about him on Sunday, but they will have to worry about 36-year-old Frank Gore, really one of the most remarkable players in NFL history. This is his 15th season. He's fourth all-time in rushing. He is a physical marvel. He is. I mean, he's a unicorn. A running back with his style of running to last as long as he has is almost incomprehensible. A big, big part of it has to be luck because think of the number of times he's been awkwardly twisted in a pile or whatever or, you know, but his, his attachments, his ligaments and tendons must be so strong. You'll, you'll see you know, injuries because of being twisted the wrong way in pileups. But then you'll see others that are non-contact, just making cuts. But this guy's not one of those type of runners. He's he's a <laughs> he, he's not a Lamborghini. You know, he he's a SUV. I mean, he's you know he's he's downshifting into into four wheel drive and going to pound you. And I think I think a lot of things, luck, his running style, um, obviously his genetics, the way his attachments are so strong and everything, but. Like you said, Dan, now he's at 14,836 yards, closing in on uh, Barry Sanders. You know, he's, he's within range, within sniffing distance of Barry Sanders. You get up to 15,000 yards rushing, you know, that's, that's just that's amazing. And the thing that he still has is leg drive. You know, he may not have his, his, uh, his burst, his quickness, his, uh, you know, acceleration, but just pure power, he's got old man strength now. I mean, he's still... He's still old man river cranking along, man. The, the guy is totally remarkable. And the, the thing that he gives you is the intangible in the locker room. I mean, Singletary's looking at him like, this guy is 36 years old. My God. What kind of – that's just – that's a self-contained example of a pro's pro, you know, how to, uh, how to take care of your body, how to work out, um, how to study, how to practice, everything that you need to find out how to be a success in the National Football League, you have a, a resource in the locker, two lockers down from you that you can talk to about and watch how he does it, at it in the weight room, all those things. That's invaluable. Throughout his career, he has worked out in South Florida at an academy uh, in the offseason with other NFL running backs. Early in his career, he worked out with Rudy Johnson. Now he works out with Giovanni Bernard. 
consider that. All right, let's wrap it up with Dave Lapham's Keys to Victory on Sunday at New Era Field in Buffalo. All right, Dan, the team needs to get back to basics, so the keys are going to be getting back to basics. You know, the first key is red zone. Um, The Bengals have had six opportunities in the red zone. They've scored one touchdown. That's 16.6% is worse than the NFL touchdown percentage. Buffalo offensively has been there five times, five touchdowns, 100%, tied for best in the National Football League. That minus four touchdown ratio, uh, Buffalo has five, the Bengals only have one, is 31st in the NFL. The only team worse are the Dolphins. Dolphins have allowed eight touchdowns in the red zone. They've only scored one. But the Dolphins are in another another category. Uh, Number two is you don't have to be a football wizard to figure this one out, run game. Um, Obviously, they handled the run in Seattle. They didn't handle it in San Francisco. They're averaging 29.5 yards uh, per game, and they're averaging 1.8 per carry, both dead last in the NFL. Defensively, they're allowing 165.5, and they're allowing 4.9 per rush, 30th in the NFL. Got to run it and stop it better than they have. And then big plays, San Francisco smoked them. 18 plays of 10 yards or more. And it was balanced, eight runs, 10 passes. And, uh, you know, you had four different receivers catch a ball of 36 yards or more. 36, 38 touchdown, 39 touchdown, another 39-yarder by four different guys. Can't have that. You just can't have it. The Bengals need to control the big play uh, by the opponent and generate some themselves. Turnovers, big plays, red zone. Those are the nuts and bolts of wins or losses in the NFL. Thanks, Lap. The NFL record for receptions in a single season is 143. It was set back in 2002 by Hall of Famer Marvin Harrison. That's basically nine catches a game, and that's precisely what Tyler Boyd is averaging after the first two weeks of the season. He's currently tied for second in the NFL with the Jets' Jamison Crowder, two catches behind the Saints' Michael Thomas. Tyler had 76 catches for 1,028 yards last year, earning a four-year, $43 million contract extension. I talked to him in the locker room this week. Tyler, I want to start with a play that happened with about 90 seconds left in the game last week. You guys were way behind. You caught a pass. You broke two tackles. You struggled to get every inch that you possibly could when the team was down by 31 points. Can you describe what you were trying to do in a situation like that? Um, you know, I just wanted to uh, show my toughness and, and show what uh, our team got in me. You know, I want them to believe, like I believe, you know, no matter what the scoreboard say, no matter what the outcome is, and I'm going to continue to be the player that I've always been. You know, I want to do whatever I can do to move the stains or, or win, you know. You've got 18 catches in the first two games of the season. You're currently tied for second in the NFL. That would be a pace for 144, which would be one more than the NFL record. Do you have any numerical goals in mind this season, 100 catches, anything in particular? Well, I've, been, I've, I've always been a team player. You know, first and foremost, you know, I, I care more about the wins. You know, but um, I, I, I'm a guy that I believe that I can be 100 uh catch receiver and a thousand yard continuous year by year receiver you know and with that being said um I just feel like uh with me and going out there and playing with the effort that I have you know will easily you know get those individual stats you know so if I just continue to go out there and be the guy that I've always been then ain't no telling how the stats gonna look at the end of the season so hopefully they'll be great we're visiting with Tyler Boyd as I said you're tied for second in the league in catches John Ross number one in receiving yards aside from his uniform number change yeah. what's different in John Ross this year Man, he's just he's confident now 
he believes himself. He, we, we, we got him in a, a system that is really great for him. You know, um, not saying he couldn't um, excel in any of the systems we had previously, but this is like the perfect system for John to, you know, showcase his speed, showcase his talent, showcase why we ta- we, we drafted him. You know, and now I feel like he's he's been poised, he's been he's been he's been more relaxed. You know, now he can go out there and just play fast. So I think that's the, the biggest change is his confidence level. One of the differences in the offense this year is that you guys line up tight quite a bit, and you're asked to block. How do you feel about being asked to block as as often as you are, and, and really being counted on to deliver? Um, at the end of the day, it's a, um, a hit or or be hit lead, you know. <laughs> so at the end of the day, um, you got to go out there and, and 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 dig somebody out, you know. I mean, you're not going to die, so why not go hit somebody, you know? Because don't nobody want to get put on film of getting getting crushed, you know. That's that's everybody's fear, or not really fear, but nobody want, likes to get embarrassed. So I mean, um, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy, you know, six six one and a half, six two, two hundred four. So I mean, I don't got no problem doing it because my line and running back block for me when I catch passes. So why not return the favor? We're visiting with Tyler Boyd. You're going back to Buffalo, and it's not as big a story this year as it was last year. But those Bills fans are very generous to you and Andy after the way the season ended two years ago in Baltimore. Will there be a different vibe for you going into that stadium this week as opposed to other road stadiums? I think it'll be a little different. I think the the last time they wanted to show their joy to me and Andy was last year when we played in a preseason game. You know, I don't think they're going to continue to uh, praise us. It doesn't know? last forever? Yeah, it ain't going to last forever. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm very thankful for what they did for us. You know, and I'm I'm glad I could be a part of helping them get to the playoffs. How good is that Bills secondary? Um, they're they're uh, pretty good. You know, they're 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 sound. They're they're fundamentally um on on point with each other. You know, they don't um well I didn't haven't watched a lot yet, but um White the corner he he's pretty tough. You know, I think he's their their, their go to guy. So ain't no telling how they're gonna play him. But again, we just gotta uh, we just gotta execute them guys and just, and just attack them like we plan on uh, attacking every corner. You know, but um I give credit to them. Last thing for Tyler Boyd, you signed a big contract extension in the offseason. Was there a point shortly after that where you just kind of had a thought of, man, all the hard work, the injuries, everything that I've gone through my whole life has paid off? Definitely, you know, because um, now it's like less pressure, you know, of, of going out there and trying to be the best you can be and not have to worry about getting hurt and just try to correlate to both. You know, it's real tough on the individual, you know, but um, just having that behind me allows me to, just, just continue to just play hungry and want to just play football and help my team, you know. And um, at the end of this one, hopefully, I want to uh, continue to ball out and get another one, you know. So I'm not satisfied quite yet, but it's going to come. Best of luck against the Bills. Appreciate you. My thanks to Tyler Boyd, who caught all 10 passes thrown his way last week against the 49ers. Now time for this week's Know the Foe interview as we do a deep dive into the Bengals' upcoming opponent with somebody that knows the team. This week... It's the radio analyst for the Bills who happens to be a Cincinnati native, Eric Wood. Eric was part of two state championship teams at Elder High School and went on to star at Louisville before being a first-round draft pick by the Bills in 2009. He was a nine-year starter in Buffalo, made a Pro Bowl in 2015, and now has transitioned into the broadcasting booth doing college games on TV and Bills games on the radio. Eric joined Dave Lapham and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. The Buffalo Bills offensively, uh, the first six drives of the season, no touchdowns, no points, four turnovers in the first six drives. And then the last 16 drives, six touchdowns, 45 points, no turnovers. What? How, when did the light go on and how did it go on in, in your mind? 
you, you know, it's all. It's never as bad as it seems, and it's never as good as it seems in football. Right. So right. through those first six drives, you have a ball um, go off of Cole Beasley's hands, our most sure-handed receiver, and it tips into um, uh, C.J. Mosley's hands for the Jets, and it's a pick six. And then you have a batted ball at the line of scrimmage that ends up being an interception. You had a fumble between the center quarterback, which Mitch Morse was out the entire preseason in the concussion protocol, and then Josh Allen got stripped in the pocket. So one true turnover um, that, that, that it wasn't just kind of uncer- unfortunate circumstances. So, um, you know, that it probably wasn't as bad as it quite seemed then. Now, Josh threw a couple more balls in the Jets game that could have been interceptions. One actually was a holding call on the defense that was an interception that got called back. So uh, Josh did a great job against the Giants last week in improving, making better decisions. Um, but in Buffalo, and, and a lot of times Dalton is, is um, thought of in the same light, in Buffalo we had so many conservative quarterbacks, even with some risky throws down the field. I think guys um, and fans of the team are just really excited that we have a guy trying to make plays down the field, even if some of these plays are a little riskier. Right. We are visiting with Eric Wood, the former Bills Pro Bowl center. Let's follow up on second-year quarterback Josh Allen, seventh pick in the draft. Last year, the guy who might have the strongest throwing arm of anybody in the NFL. How much better is he, and where has he improved the most in his second year? Well, he looks he looks a lot better through the preseason and through these first two games. You know, I think it helps him tremendously that they bring in John Brown and Cole Beasley on the outside, two guys that are just pure route runners. He knows exactly where they're going to be. He trusts them. They can beat man coverage, so he can he can spotlight them one on one. You know, especially on third downs where everything happens a little bit quicker, he's really looking towards those guys to make plays for him. And, and I think he's doing a better job of taking what the defense gives him. You know, in college, he was a 50-something percent passer, and as a rookie last year, he was at 54%. So coming in or going into the offseason last year, basically everyone was saying he is who we thought he was. You know, he's, he's an inaccurate quarterback, uh, gunslinger, huge arm, huge talent. Well, last year he showed off. Uh, some athletic ability with his legs, which at times I think he takes a couple too many shots out of the pocket, but love his playmaking ability. But then this year on the year, he's right around 64%. So an improvement in completion percentage will be a huge deal for the Bills uh, building long-term success with him at quarterback. Last week against the 49ers, they employed a fullback or deployed a fullback multiple snaps. Um, DeMarco plays a third of the time. The Buffalo Bills, based on the success the 49ers had against the Cincinnati Bengals with their 21-22 personnel, and, and they, they would motion him out of the backfield and, you know, make him a receiver, and he, he was he's a versatile guy. Can they do the same sort of things with DeMarco, and do you feel like in a copycat league like we have here in the NFL that uh, DeMarco will be on the field a lot against the Bengals in Buffalo? Yeah, for two weeks, Pat DeMarco has been on the field, like you mentioned, a third of the snaps, but a lot of those have been um, five-wire, you know, an empty backfield set where they'll split them out and they'll use that to get a man zone read for gotcha. Josh Allen to see who's walked out over him. So, yep. you know, a number of their plays, especially against the Jets, because that so he played a majority of the Jets game and then even a little bit less against the Giants. But you're right, it is a copycat league, but I've always felt like, it is a copycat lead, and you want to attack defenses where other guys were able to get uh, or to be opportunistic on a defense, but defenses are smart. They're going to go back to the drawing board and figure out what beat them, and they're going to focus on that all week. So 
yes, I would imagine there would be some 21 personnel in the game plan, but that will simply be because Brian Dayball, our offensive coordinator, who came from New England, has always employed a fullback. Right. We are visiting with Bills radio analyst Eric Wood, the former Elder Panther. The Bills have a rookie running back, Devin Singletary, out of Florida Atlantic. He's got a sore hamstring, so maybe he doesn't play this week. And if he doesn't, that's good news for the Bengals because watching the Bills' first two games, this kid is unbelievable. Uh, Describe Devin Singletary and what he has done for the Bills' offense. You know, he kind of reminds me of Giovanni Bernard when he kind of burst on the scene his rookie year. You have an explosive component to the offense. And with him and Frank Gore, they, they're they opposite each other in their skill set. So it, it, it delivers a great one-two punch. But, um, you know, he, we drafted him in the third round out of FAU. Not a lot of people knew about him. And he instantly turned heads. They did a poll at the end of training camp of who was the most impressive player at all of training camp and a number of even veterans voted Devin Singletary as the most impressive. So he's been turning heads since the day he got to Buffalo this year as a rookie, and he would be a huge absence if he is not on the field for the Bills this week because he's actually great in the pass game as well. They split him out. They run some routes with him, and it would be um, a big loss for them. The Methuselah of running backs, Frank Gore, he's also a unicorn, I mean, as long as he's played at the running back position. Is there anybody more committed to the game of football than Frank Gore is? Probably not. You know, he's in his 15th year. He comes into the NFL. And the crazy part is he came into the NFL having, I believe, torn both his ACLs in college, and he was this big injury guy where everyone said he might not even last a couple years. And now he's in his 15th year, and, you know, he's in his first year in Buffalo, and he's already creating this legend up there where – um, they go and do joint practices in training camp with the Panthers. And Frank Gore's on the, on the stair stepper at the hotel at 6 in the morning. And he's working out with the media guys and the staff. And then he goes to practice. And then he catches a workout with the team. So when you ask about commitment, no, there probably isn't anybody uh, more committed throughout the NFL. I, I want to know that doctor because whoever reconstructed his knees, <laughs> they made those bad boys bionic, man. It's unreal. Yeah, they did a better job than they did with mine, I think. (laughs) (laughs) A couple more questions for Bill's radio analyst, Eric Wood. Buffalo has an excellent defense. I don't see an obvious weakness. What is the weakest area of the Bill's defense? You know, you hate to put it this way, but maybe the lack of true star power. You know, they don't have a Geno Atkins. They don't necessarily have a Carlos Dunlap, guys that are just huge names. Now, they have... A, they have 11 guys across the board, even some backups that are extremely productive players. But they're in their third year under Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott in their defense, and they're just very comfortable. They're two safeties. Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyde are excellent. They hide coverages. They've played so much ball together that they trust each other. And, and for quarterbacks, it's I, I don't know how at times you can get a free snap read against them because it'll be a cover two look. And it sure looks like man-free. And, you know, it's, it's just all these different things that they give you. Um, and then they have a pretty complex blitz scheme on third down if they do employ it. So um, they're just a tough defense. And they, they finished they, – they, they struggled the first two weeks of the season last year and finished extremely strong. And they're, they're picking up right where they left off. Yeah, I, I, I saw a stat where uh, 
uh, counted up the third down in seven or more. Defense this year has allowed two conversions and 16 opportunities, third and seven or more. They come with all different kinds of things in those uh, blitz packages. I, Andy Dalton has had some problems this year with batted passes, and I noticed you uh, defensively have batted seven balls at the line of scrimmage, leads the NFL. Uh, Oliver batted one uh, to his teammate for, for an interception. Murphy got his first interception of his career. Last year led the NFL with 19 batted balls, 26 batted balls in the last 18 games. What is it? Is it luck? Are these guys really work on it? What do you, what do you think is, is the reason for all those batted balls? You know, I think part of it's intelligence, and as you know, Dave, when it's a three-step drop, those guys up front aren't getting home a lot of times. So when they recognize three-step drop or short sets, a lot of times they're looking to get into the passing lanes. And so that that's one reason. Another reason is on third downs, if they're not blitzing, they're often running line games. So they're running twists up front. Well, when they're moving laterally through those zones um, up front and they're moving laterally through the gaps, a lot of times as the quarterback rears back, they'll all just get their hands up, and as they're moving laterally, it gives them an opportunity to bat it down. And, you know, they're credited with seven. It's actually nine at the line of scrimmage, but two were by linebackers that were in the line of scrimmage. So they're batting a ton of balls down the line of scrimmage, and and our secondary gets a lot of credit, and rightfully so, because they're, they're sixth in the NFL in pass defense, but they're number one in the NFL in pass um, defense per attempt. Right. And but but a, but a big part of that is all the balls being batted down before you even get to the secondary. Unreal, like four point nine four, I guess it is yards per pass attempt. That's a teams. Are, the Bengals are giving up four point eight a rush. The Buffalo Bills are giving up four point nine four per pass attempt. It's crazy. Right. Absolutely. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. They've been productive this year. Our thanks to Eric Wood. And before we wrap this up, if you listen to this podcast before Friday afternoon at three. We invite you to come out and join us for the Bengals Pep Rally Show. We'll be at Buffalo Wings and Rings near Kings Island from 3 to 6 on Friday, and linebacker Preston Brown will join us for the final hour of the show. We'll have giveaways too, but you have to be there in order to win. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe, and if you have a minute, please give it a rating or share a comment. Five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.